So Money episode 520, Kyle Taylor, creator of The Penny Hoarder. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money. So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. I'm excited for our guest today. He has an incredible financial journey. He went from $50,000 in debt and blogging about it, to in just six short years, earning $20 million in revenue with said blog. It's now become a full-fledged media company. Many of you I'm willing to bet are familiar with the website since it has over 5 million subscribers. It's called pennyhoarder.com. And Kyle Taylor is here. He's the founder and CEO of Penny Hoarder. Back in 2010, Kyle was saddled with massive student loan and credit card debt. So like some people, he began blogging about his adventures to becoming debt-free, making and saving money. And it led to the launch of the website. And now under his leadership, it's grown from something that was mainly personal to one of the largest publications on the web with millions of readers a month. A little bit more about Kyle. He was recently named on Business Observer's 40 Under 40 list. And a fun fact, in his past life, he spent about six years working in politics on a campaign trail in charge of crafting media strategy, raising money, and directing field workers. Makes sense why he's not able to be a CEO, right? Here's Kyle Taylor. Kyle Taylor, welcome to So Money. Penny Hoarder. I can't believe it's taking me so long to connect with you because, I mean, I'm obviously familiar with Penny Hoarder. A lot of our listeners are too. It's a phenomenal journey you've been on for just the last six years. So we're going to have to get into all of that, hopefully in the next 30 minutes. I hope you're ready to answer some tough questions. (laughs) I am ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. First question, not so tough, but tell us, take us back because, you know, it's one thing to start blogging, to blog, to develop a community. A lot of people do it just as maybe a catharsis or a way to get out there, you know, fulfill a passion of writing. Then, of course, this became even bigger than probably you even imagined now with millions and millions of subscribers, millions and millions in revenue. But it started with Kyle Taylor, $50,000 in debt, looking for a way to I guess, keep yourself accountable as you were getting out of this debt by writing about it and and finding a voice and getting a community. So where were you six years ago mentally? And also what was your idea about Penny Hoarder back six years ago? Yeah. So I, I like to think that I like to say I'm sort of an accidental CEO. Um, and That's so what six- I call you too. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. But <laughs> so, um, so six years ago, I, I, I used to work on political campaigns. And so for years, I had kind of gone back and forth between working on campaigns and going to college. And um, if you know anything about campaigns, the thing is, you know, they're, they're over after a few months, um, at least local ones are, and you're out of a job. And so I go back to school and b- both of these things um, were sort of leading me down a uh, sort of a financial uh, disastrous path, if you will. I didn't make much on the campaigns. I was spending a lot on school. And then I had some um, 
um, real problems with just my own overspending and, and poor money management. Um, so at, when I started the blog, I was indeed $50,000 in student loan and credit card debt. And I was in between campaigns and I, I sort of had a knack for finding um, sort of strange ways to make money. Um, so I was, a, I was a movie preview auditor, for example, and I got paid to go to the movie theater and count the number of previews and write them down so that advertisers would, would know if their previews were being shown. It's one of those jobs that people always ask, like, oh, how the heck do you find these? And it, ca- it gave me the idea that it'd be fun to kind of write about it and as a way to hold myself accountable, as you say. And, um, as a way to sort of track my, my debt payoff, it was not a business. <laughs> it was a hobby. Uh, yeah. that's how- it, so at what point did you realize there's more, there's more to this than I had even imagined? Uh, certainly I think having had started a blog in 2010 ish was an opportune time in our economic history. There was a lot of demand for financial advice, financial guidance. So maybe you found yourself at the right place at the right time, but what else was there to it? Yes, it was probably um, two years before I realized like this could be something more than a hobby. And I had a a number of things happen. Um, One is, uh, so somebody from Oprah.com reached out and they they asked me for a few quotes. And this was really my very first media uh, opportunity. And because it was such a big name, it, it sort of shocked me and made me realize, well, maybe I have something uh, more than what I realized. And then um, over the course of that year, I started getting, you know, the first couple of years, it's, it's you know, basically your mom reading the blog. <laughs> but after, after about year two, I started getting letters and comments from readers um, who would say, oh, I took your advice and I went and did some movie preview audits or, or I found this job. And, um, to me that, that was so powerful because I wasn't making any money yet, but I realized in some ways I was starting to accomplish some of the things I'd hoped to accomplish when I was working on campaigns. And that, that made me feel really good and made me sort of double down on the idea that, um, I should, you know, start taking this more seriously. So taking it more seriously, what does that mean? Because, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have blogs are thinking about starting blogs, monetizing it is there are many ways to do it perhaps, but what did you mean by doubling down and taking it seriously? So for, for me, I realized that, you know, I wasn't blogging consistently at that, at that time. And I realized if I need, if I was going to grow it, I was going to need to start blogging every day. And I was going to really need to start treating it like not just a full-time job, but as a business. And at this point I had made maybe 10 or $15,000 from the blog in total, um, but I thought if I could work on this, you know, Monday through Friday and then, or Monday through Thursday, and then work a three day weekend on all these side gigs and try to make enough money to, to survive, you know, I could sort of make two full-time jobs out of it. And so that's what I did. Um, and I, uh, I quit campaigns, I quit school and took a risk on this being a full-time job. And what were the revenue streams? So clearly there's the ad model, but what are some other innovative ways for bloggers to monetize their site? And how did you grow your your fan base? And you know, obviously time helps and momentum builds, but what did you just pour money into SEO? Did you do a lot of content marketing? What was the strategy there? Oh my gosh, I could probably talk about that for three hours, but <laughs> Um, In 30 I think, seconds or less. <laughs> I think the uh, uh, 
you know, the monetization strategy has changed um, over time. And I think as bloggers, we need to be cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, digital marketing is still still a uh, growing and learning industry and that we need to be sort of able to keep moving. So for me, it started with sponsored posts. Um, and that's, that's how I started making my initial money. I had a little bit of display, uh, money coming in from AdSense. And then as I started getting bigger, um, we started participating, uh, more on with affiliate revenue, which now makes up 95% of our income. Mm -hmm. That's when you mention a product that someone follows through the link and ends up buying it, you get a percentage. Exactly. And so, for example, Uber is a big client of ours. And uh, we actually don't recommend too many things on the site that would cost you money because we feel like it's sort of the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. But Uber is a client and we get paid every time one of our readers signs up to be a driver and earns their first Mm -hmm. paycheck. So it's sort of a win-win, right? The reader's earning money, we're earning money. Um, And those kind of relationships with advertisers have done really well for us. I like how the focus, it sounds like a lot of the content is not just about hoarding, which is what's in the title, but saving aggressively, being really frugal. But you also talk about how to earn more. Was that a big part of your strategy to get out of debt? You are exactly right. That's sort of my personal finance mantra is that and growing up, we focused a lot on frugality. And I'm so thankful for that. My parents taught me so much about saving money. But I realized in order to sort of start getting things in line, I needed to think not just about how to be frugal, but the other side of the ledger. And so I always tell our readers is, you know, spend uh, out of the the amount of time you spend thinking of your budget, try to spend 50% uh, on each um, improving income and decreasing expenses. That kind of talks a lot about how we have evolved as a consumer marketplace, right? As a marketplace that wants to improve our financial lives, where I think prior to maybe this current digital boom that we're in, it was all about penny pinching because there weren't really the resources to readily connect us with these opportunities. Or if they were out there, it was hard to find. But now making more money, augmenting your income through side hustle, side gigs, it's a lot more possible these days. And I think there's definitely a sea change happening in even just the way that that personal finance experts are are giving out their advice, are doling out advice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's definitely a change happening in the job market, sort of the shift to the gig economy. But I think it's also important as uh, personal finance bloggers that we remember that, you know, tens of millions of Americans are making less than $35,000 a year. And there's only so many Starbucks cups you can cut from that budget. You know what I mean? Like, you, you- And they're not even drinking Starbucks. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got to think about both sides. You reach a point, right, where there's only so much you can save. And at that point, the conversation has to change. The behavior has to change to how can I earn more? And there's absolutely an income problem in this country. We've seen the cost of everything increase over the decades while incomes have remained stagnant. Even as people are finding more jobs now, they're not they're not well-paying jobs for a lot of the, you know, starting level jobs. So I I love that philosophy. And then you mentioned that you had a good upbringing. So I'm curious now to learn, Kyle, if you could take us down memory lane and share with us a financial memory that really captures how you grew up thinking about money. Yeah. So I I think I had somewhat of a unique um, relationship with money growing up. Um, Everything was kind of on the table in our family. So we, we had a family budget that we would work on together and everybody knew how much income was coming in and how much each category um, had expense to it. 
And one of my earliest memories is uh, my, my, my parents really wanted to buy a larger house so we could all have our own room. And my mom created a, a huge chart that hung in their master bedroom with uh, sort of the, you know picture of what the house she wanted to look like and um, a chart of a, a yellow brick road sort of going up to that. And every Sunday, we would figure out how much we saved that week. And us kids would take turns coloring in that sidewalk on the way up to the, uh, you know, as a way of tracking our progress to buying a new house. And that really taught me that finances aren't something to be ashamed of. Um, I think so often, you know, we people think of finances like they do religion or politics, like it's taboo. We don't talk about it. And I'm so appreciative that my parents um, did talk about it with us, even when it was in the bad times, um, because I had a I grew up just having a better appreciation of a dollar. And um, it's something that I have taken now to my business where we share all the revenue and expenses with our employees. And I think it helps us all kind of keep an eye on the dollar. That's such an interesting lesson. So many parents shield the finances from their kids. They aren't transparent. They don't estimate that their kids could even tackle or understand a lot of these basic financial concepts. And I love that your parents made it seem like, you know what? The household budget is a household affair. And how old were you? And how old were your siblings? Did did you readily get it? Or were you kind of like, why are we, what's the, like, was there some confusion or you instantly felt engaged? The housing chart was when I was five years old. So this started very young. And as I got older, uh, we got more involved. So I remember um, at 12, uh, my sister and I would take turns going out and reading the electric meter on the side of the house every day to see if we could beat the day before. (laughs) Um, And that that was just one of those silly things you would do to try to see if we could, you know, get the electric and water bill down a little bit farther. And as again, as I got a little older, 15, 16, um, I started couponing and my mom would let me do some of the grocery shopping on my own. Um, so I, I think the older we got, the more, the, the bigger the conversations became, but it started very young. Yet yeah, not someone that I would think would later as an adult accumulate $50,000 in debt. So what was the disconnect there or what happened where you ended up in that situation? Yeah. So, so I mentioned I was um, sort of in college and, and, and then not making very m- much money. But I also had a personal failure in that I just developed a really bad habit of overspending. Um, and I, Making I, up not, for all those years of checking meters, maybe. That's, maybe. This, this might end up being... Pent up spending <laughs> demand. Yes. Uh, that's a really good point. Um, and, and so, you know, buying all those things that I always wanted and um, you know, and in college, I started developing this bad habit of uh, of them going back to my parents and borrowing uh, money. And and I remember um, this is right before the blog started. I had I gotten to a point where I was completely out of money. I was starting a new campaign, and I wasn't going to be paid for you know three weeks. And I didn't even know where my next meal was going to come from. But I was so ashamed to call my parents and ask for yet another loan. And so I toughed it out. And thankfully, my employer was covering my housing at that time. But I uh, would, I, my job at that time was to go door to door, getting out the vote. And I would keep an eye out on, on the sidewalk for spare change and wow. use that change to buy a pack of ramen or whatever that night. 
And honestly, it's probably like the hardest three weeks of, uh, of life for me, at least from a financial perspective. But it was the turnaround. It is what stopped me from making all those dumb spending decisions and finally learning to stand on my own. See, when as a parent, you instill the fear of God in your children, it works. <laughs> it was totally my reasons also in my early 20s to finally own up to my own financial challenges. And yes, I'd gone back to the parental well a couple of times in my early 20s and in college, and it never felt good. It always felt like I was being an infant. Uh, I happily took their money, but it was always with, it always came with this feeling of, of just childlikeness. And I think for me too, that fear and embarrassment and guilt and shame of having to crawl back to mom and dad to ask for them for money yet again, I was like, okay, this is where I'm drawing the line. Life has to start now for me as an adult. And it starts by taking my own challenges into my own hands and um, even being uncomfortable for a while as a result of it. So uh, I guess a lesson for parents out there, fear works. <laughs> Your lifestyle now, I'm sure, is much better as a CEO of a company that employs 50 people earning I think you were on the path to earning $20 million in revenue in 2016. So what's your lifestyle like now? How has it changed? What has stayed the same? Yeah, well, it has, uh, it definitely has changed. I, you know, I live in a big house and drive a fancy car and, 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 and all that stuff feels great. So you did go for the big house and the fancy car. I, you, I did, but I, I also, um, I now spend less than 5% of my income every month. So I'm not topping out like I was before where I was, you know, spending every dollar that came in um, because I really did take that lesson to heart. And I never I, I you know, I, you never know what's going to happen to your business. And I know that I never want to go back to that three weeks again. So no matter what happens, um, I'm sort of working to protect what I've what I've already created. Awesome. What kind of car do you drive? Oh, gosh, uh, I drive a Mercedes an S class. Nice. <laughs> you know what? I, I, what do you think about people who judge others for having nice things? I'm not a fan. I will say, um, and, and I don't know what this means about about me, but I, I sometimes feel uncomfortable about it. Um, and I like if we're if we're going. By the way, somewhere- I'm not judging you. I think it's great that you should be able to do whatever you want with your money if you can afford it. I mean, goodness, that's. If you like luxury, go for it, but be smart about it. I that completely agree. And that's something we try to preach on the penny order is, you know, it's not about denying yourself um, the things you want in life. It's it's finding a way to afford them and work into a, a healthy budget. Trying to practice what I preach these days. What would you say is your most remarkable money moment, your so money moment? Um, I think buying my first home, which was uh, now two and a half years ago. And it was somewhat of a difficult process because even though I had uh, made quite a bit of money, I was still reeling from all of the mistakes that I had made earlier in life, um, especially on my credit report. You know, I had a, I had a 50% down, you know, deposit or down payment to put on my house, but it still took me months of working with lenders and working to clean up my credit report before I could get approved for a loan. Um, and that, that was a key moment for me. It was a moment where I was, uh, felt like I had really turned a page, but also uh, a reminder that I didn't want to go back to that. Yeah, for sure. What was your darkest financial moment? 
uh, I think that three weeks there that I yeah. was describing uh, was was the worst it's ever been. Take me there, like visually. Yeah, so we, um, I was in uh, a very rural town in Ohio, and we, you know, the thing with campaigns is they would put you in an efficiency, um, and you would live there for three or four weeks before we would get moved to another state. Um, so I was living in this little little tiny efficiency, and um, we would work all day, oftentimes fifteen hours, and uh, then I would take whatever change I had collected and buy a buy a ramen, buy buy an apple, whatever I could get. Um, and it was the just, best diet ever, right? It really was. Yeah, <laughs> being <laughs> poor is the best diet. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Let's also talk about before we get to the so money fill in the blanks, which I do with all the guests. But I also want to hear about some of the maybe daily practices that you that you perform around money that help you to you know just maintain your lifestyle build your business, whatever, you know, just some things that you do consciously that we could all learn from. Yeah. So I have uh, two things I like to do. Um, the first is I call it financial Sunday. And this, uh, something I took from childhood where as a family, we would go over the budget on Sundays. Um, I don't have a line by line item budget anymore, but I still do sit down every Sunday, um, with a glass of wine and <laughs> which I feel like it helps. I want to make it a positive experience. I think we need to take the agony out of finances. So, Agreed. you know, make it fun. Um, uh, so I have a glass of wine. I look over, look over my checkbook. I check in with, uh, my savings goals for the month. Um, I see if I need to make any type of adjustments. Um, and then I also spend some time dreaming. And I think that's kind of fun too. Daydreaming or you go to, you take a nap. Uh, daydreaming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to I, nap on Sundays. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think your, you know, money can be a tool to fulfill your dreams, and I don't think it's uh, a way to happiness, but I do think it's a fun way of sort of thinking about what you want out of life. And so I take some time um, to kind of indulge and think about those things, um, and it makes it fun for me. It, it makes finances uh, enjoyable. And then the second thing I do, um, I mentioned this before about how I'm 50% um, on, on both sides of the ledger. Every quarter um, in our business, we we don't just make revenue projections. We go back and look at all the expenses from the quarter before and look at things that we can cut. And, I, you know, we've we've been profitable every month um, since our since opening, but I am so conscious of the fact that as you get bigger, you know, you take on software that you may not need or you start, you know, your kitchen budget gets out of hand or whatever it might be. And so we, we keep looking at those categories as a team, uh, once every quarter to see what can be cut. So you may call yourself the accidental CEO, but you were very much taking a strategic approach. Do you like being a CEO? I ask that because a lot of founders don't, and they find themselves in these roles where they're micromanaging and, spreadsheeting and this isn't why they got into it's not their passion. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And I I say that with um some hesitation because you know I, I always say that it's it's really the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I end most days wondering if I know what the heck I'm doing. But I wake up every morning just tickled excited to get back in the office. Um, and I that it's such a weird relationship to the job, but, um, I'm just so loving that challenge and so loving the team that we've built here, that I, I honestly have grown to love the CEO role. 
Hiring is a big challenge. How? What's your approach to hiring? I know you're hiring a few. I'm looking on your site now. If anyone's interested in working for Trailer <laughs> Media, uh, you have please. Yes, several openings. We think we'll openings. hire, we think we'll hire up to forty people next year. So please oh visit us. <laughs> wow. And you do you have to be uh, in person working, or do you have a lot of remote positions? Most of our roles are in our St. Petersburg, Florida office, but we do have a few that are remote. And, um, we are sort of playing with the idea of perhaps opening up another office next year in a, a New York or California. You're growing fast. Do you ever wonder if it's just happening a little too fast? Um, How do you yeah. scale you know, sure. in a sensible yeah. way? I do think uh, sometimes managing the growth is difficult, uh, especially on the employee side, because, you know... It, we took a we took a poll at our monthly staff meeting last month, and there were only like seven or eight people in the room who knew knew what everybody else in the room did um, at the company, and so that's become kind of challenging. It's just making sure everybody's still on the same page as we get bigger. But I also know that uh, we're in an extremely competitive industry, and that um, this there there is sort of a uh, for digital media companies this there is this is sort of a sweet time for growth um, and I don't have any intention of slowing down um, in fact I think there's kind of a race going on right now um, that's probably a whole nother segment but um, we we want to win and we we want to be one of the largest publishers on the web it's very cool that as a publisher you're thriving in what is a time period, I think if we look back at history, like media history, there was a lot of, I mean, the Wall Street Journal is on, you know, a very fragile terrain right now. Uh, there are a lot of media companies that have shuttered recently or consolidated because they couldn't do it on their own. Um, I think what's really also exemplary, and I don't know if this is going to be your forever plan, but you're not keen on taking investor dollars. You want to kind of bootstrap this and grow using the income that you're generating, putting money back into the business. Why was that an approach that was important to you? Yeah, that's been extremely important. It's a huge part of our strategy. I'll, I'll never say never, but it's not something we're considering at all right now. Um, and I look at some of these really large media companies that are raising money at 10, 15 times revenue, not even profit revenue, um, and yet, and they're not making any money yet. Um, and I think there's a real uh, reckoning that the uh, media industry is going to have to deal with in the com coming years uh, with those kind of numbers. And I didn't want to be a part of it. Um, and I, 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 that's part of it. We also love that we don't have to spend a lot of our time dealing with investor relations and trying to raise money. Um, we get to just focus on building the best possible product we can. Uh, and that's, I think, also a a, re a really big part in what makes the CEO job fun for me um, is I'm not out on that circuit doing that. That, right. that sounds cool. You're not out with your canning and your begging and yeah. Uh, oh, good. I like to hear that because I think that is something that I have also concluded is that we give a lot of credit to these companies that raise all this money. And well, that's a very impressive. Well, what is actually your bottom line? What does that look like? And you hear that, you know, they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars, yet they're not profitable yet. And it's like, really? What are you doing that's not working? <laughs> it's, it's so like, true. Someone it's gives so me a hundred million bucks. I'm going to keep a little bit of that to the side. <laughs> that That's our strategy is, listen, we, we are trying to bank some cash um, and be prepared for rainier days ahead. Um, that's, and I, I hope some of our, uh, I, I'm a, 
such a fan of, uh, of the news media and, and I think such an important part of our culture. And I hope that they, um, will take some of those lessons too. Kyle, you've been such a great guest. I want to ask you, you more and more and more questions. We only have time for a few more, but let's, let's do some fill in the blanks. This is when you just get to ramble off a uh, stream okay. of consciousness. <laughs> we get to really know the Kyle Taylor behind uh, Penny Hoarder. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks. The first thing I would do is. Um, the first thing I would do would be to bank it. I, I'm not, in a, I, I'm not in a place to be spending money right now, but if I didn't have the responsibility of a company, uh, my next thing that I would love to do is to start a foundation and work on public policy, like um, improving economic equality and economic opportunity. Um, that's that's a passionate issue for me. And I think that would be $100 million would be a good start for that. You raised a really wonderful point, which is that sometimes to make a change in the world, you you work outside of politics, right? You, you have a very interesting path that you were working within the political realm at one point. And yet, uh, while that's no longer your life, you're still making an impact in probably ways that are more far-reaching because you're now running this amazing company, you're calling the shots, and it's helping people with their money, which is so important. So do you see Do you see that? Do I, did I just make that up or do you actually see that? Do you, did you, did no, you connect those dots as well? That's exactly. Um, so our company mission that's in our employee handbook is to put more money in our readers' pockets. And you know that was sort of my goal from a political angle. Um, and we're doing it from a totally different perspective now. Uh, and I foresee that there could be a time uh, in the future where I'm sort of working on both angles at the same time. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is... I indulge. I have a, a, a two wonderful folks that help clean my house every week. Two people. It's a big house. They, they do. And they're they're so wonderful. Um, I've been working with them for a couple of years now, and um, they're honestly it's almost part of the family at this point. But it is one of those things I'm glad I don't have to ever think about, and it allows me to spend a lot more time at work and focusing on the things um, that I really love to do. I've never asked a guest this in this portion of the interview, but I think I'm going to start sprinkling this one in here and there. <laughs> I think I just thought of it and I thought maybe I'm just because imagining you like in your big house in your big bed, all, you know, by the way, you're single, no kids. Um, so I imagine like coming to America, like Eddie Murphy, you know, like <laughs> waking up with the sun rising to the east and the the silk sheets. But here, answer this. The one ritual I perform every morning that helps me get ready for the day is? Oh, um, so I, I always start with a cup of coffee and a closed computer. Um, sometimes I'll turn on the news or something like that, but I need, I need like 20 minutes of just me time before kind of jumping in. Do you have like really great views from your home? Do you live by water? Um, I don't. I live... Um, uh, in a pretty suburban neighborhood. Um, um, and so I would say I'm probably four blocks from the water. Um, we do have a really nice outdoor fire pit. So some, so when it gets a little cooler here in Florida, um, that's a place I like to spend my mornings. That's great. Yeah. 20 minutes, no, no electronics, no emailing. It's probably the most serene time of your day besides, of course, once you go to bed. Yeah. And not something I always did, by the way, for a long time, I was finding myself 
with one eye open scrolling through emails and getting stressed before I was even out of bed. And I just realized that was just so unhealthy for me and put a stop to it. I mean, there are some days where all I do is email. I'm sorry to say, like, it just, it is a job, you know, getting back to people and getting in touch with people. And it's, it's a necessary part of a business, but it's incredible how much email has become a a facet of business, of your business life. It is. um, Although I will say, I've been saying since the summer that I've quit email, Um, not completely, but I only check it now a few times a week. Um, All of our internal communications on Slack. And, um, and then I, you know, I just trust that I have a wonderful team that's taking care of things that are urgent. Um, cause it's just, I want to spend my time thinking about, um, bigger things rather than thinking about whoever's trying to kind of take your time that day. I've read that you like Slack. I it's a little snooping around and I saw that was one of your favorite tools. And I also read that you'd love to have, I believe a meal with Ariana Huffington Oh yes! Oh, good research. Yeah, that would be that is a dream of mine. I I think she's just so fascinating, um, and what she built was incredible. And now and she's, she's building Thrive Global, which is a exactly whole new she's still going, still, still going. going. I love it. All right, one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up. I know your parents were very transparent and cool with giving you guys some money lessons as, as kids, but what was the one thing that you missed out on? Uh, the one thing I wish I knew is that knowing that you could buy whatever you want feels way better than buying whatever you want. And, and what I mean by that is I don't get as much joy out of actually physically getting the item anymore. I do get a lot of joy and a lot of security out of knowing that I can walk into a store and not have to worry about whatever the bill's going to be. That that feels way better to me. Oh, well said. And on that note, do you ever, do you also feel cuz you know, you were poor at one point, I was poor at one point, that when you don't have the means to buy whatever, you know, more than basically you can afford, which is just the basics, food, shelter, <laughs> and even that's a stretch, that you aspire to have all these things, but once you start to make the money to afford all of those things, they don't seem as great. And as you don't want for them as much. And I don't know, what's the psychology behind that you think? Gosh, I don't even begin to know, but it is a truly weird phenomenon. Um, and I, I, I think you may have headed get the nail on the head earlier where, um, we're, when you're in that position, you start to make, you know, you're trying to make up for what you're, what you think you're missing out on. Right. It's a perception that this will somehow make me happier, but there's a lot of joy in saving. There's a lot of happiness in earning that far surpasses coming home with the, the latest shiny object. Um, and I, I've experienced that in my own life. And yeah, I think I think it's nice to hear that, that you also kind of went through that and um, believe that. So it's not just me and my weirdness. Um <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's something to work for towards, right? Like that's something you don't think about and why we should try to get ourselves out of our own financial messes. Because once you get to the other side of the mountain or reach the top of the mountain, you your whole perspective changes for the better, I think, on what you actually value, what's necessary, what's important to you. And it usually has very little to do with things, which yeah, means I- you can put more money back in your pocket. 
Exactly. And I honestly don't know if 20-year-old Kyle would, would take 30-year-old Kyle's advice, but I like to hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, what is the one thing that um, you wish you had, like if you had, if you could go back in time and tell a 20-year-old Kyle, like, do this, just do this one thing. Um, I, I mean, I think putting more money, like investing in my IRA would have probably yeah. been something. So I didn't really realize <laughs> at, at the time that because I wasn't making that much money that I could almost get paid for doing it in terms of tax credits. <laughs> um, so that's one thing I wish I could go back and do, but I try not to live with regrets because I feel like all of these, um, bad choices and things that I've made, um, gave me led me to where I am today. And I, I think there's something really powerful about making mistakes. And, um, you know, sometimes we just all need to go through that. Yeah. And what could be more powerful than running your own company, employing tons and tons of people, being considered one of the fastest growing companies, private companies in the country. Congratulations, Kyle. Let's Thank end you. on this. I'm so money because I'm Kyle Taylor. I'm so money because... I'm so money because I'm providing a livable wage to every employee in my office. And we hope to take that message directly to our readers. And we're not going to stop until every one of our readers can do the same. I love it. And you're hiring. So if you're interested in joining the Kyle Crusade, go to <laughs> thepennyhoarder.com and join millions of millions and millions more and, and growing. Kyle, thank you so much. And I uh, hope you have a great 2017. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Kyle, Kyle Taylor, visit thepennyhoarder.com. And you can follow Penny Hoarder on Twitter at thepennyhoarder. If you missed any of this, just go to somoneypodcast.com where you can download the audio transcript, leave a comment, and click on Ask Farnoosh to leave your question for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. Money.